0: Assalamu Alaikum and welcome to a podcast hosted by the Review of Religions. The Review of Religions is an international magazine that is published by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and is one of the longest running comparative religious magazines. Started in nineteen oh two, the objectives of the magazine is to present the teachings of Islam and brings together articles and viewpoints on different religions. The magazine is devoted to promoting intellectual and lively debate that is based on respect for all prophets and religions. Today we're discussing the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the global economy. To help us do that, I'm joined by Ahmed Salam, who is a career investment banker with an initial focus on debt capital markets. He developed an expertise in Islamic finance and was the founder of the first Western-approved Sharia bank, the Islamic Bank of Britain. Ahmed Salam was also head of the Islamic Finance at Credit Suisse. More currently, he is working in private equity and is advising companies on their financial dealings. Assalamu alaikum and welcome, Ahmed Sub.
1: Wa well, alaikum assalam.
0: Thank you very much for joining us on this program.
1: Delighted to be with you.
0: Thank you. So. If I can start off um, by asking you, um, the state of the economy is gradually deteriorating in all countries of the world, and the UK is no exception to this. Can we attribute this abrupt economic halt to the pandemic? Um, were there any mechanisms that would have helped to forecast it?
1: That's a very broad question. Let me just start off by, 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 by perhaps um, putting... Two, two, two points together. One is, I hope I don't end up depressing people significantly by the end of this podcast, because inevitably the potential uh, outlook for the global economy is, um, is not very promising at all. And I think we're due a major, major um, significant correction in financial markets in the state of the global economy. And the other wonderful quote I love from Mark Twain, which is, fools oh, are exceedingly good at answering all the questions of the world. But wise admit they just do not know. So I'm going to claim the second category in some of your questions and say, I do not know the answers to all the questions you may have. But in terms of the state of the global economy, <clears throat> um, no this, the, 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 the pandemic maybe has been a catalyst for what was going to happen, but this correction and this financial crisis has been in the making for a considerable number of, number of years, and one of the leading global fund managers, a guy called Jim Rogers, predicted a recession in 2020. Uh, Nouriel Roubini, uh, professor of economics, um, he also predicted it, Martin Feldstein, of the Federal Reserve, Ben Bernanke, Jeffrey Sachs, I could produce a list of some of the most renowned global economists who have been calling and expecting some sort of significant economic downturn to occur in 2020. So... People on the inside, such as myself, are not surprised by it. We were expecting some kind of economic event to happen. What we weren't expecting was the speed with which it happened and the reason why it's happened, i.e. the the pandemic.
0: And can I ask, would we have had any mechanisms to forecast that? Um, It sounds like you're saying that, yes, everything was there. I'm kind of wondering if you could give us an indication of some of those indicators that we were heading for crisis?
1: I think perhaps the simplest one that people can understand is the, the performance of stock markets and the, the, the whole valuation used for companies were getting so far out of any kind of um, think any, any kind of you know, rational thinking and they were just going up to astronomical levels of valuation companies that didn't generate a single cent in revenues were being valued at hundreds of millions of dollars. Just didn't make sense. And it was all the signs of something coming down the track to restore normality because that's what markets do. They restore normality. And that's where the free market, if it's left to its own free devices, actually acts as a bit of a, a, a checks and balances. Um, yeah, it would have bought reality back into the system at some stage. And that's really what we're seeing.
0: So in some ways, this was inevitable, it was going to happen.
1: Inevitable. And I guess it's partly also a hangover from the financial crisis of 2008, when the world had the opportunity to step up and essentially restructure the global economy. But instead of which the politicians who were so short sighted in their thinking, Decided to load the global system with debt, with all the printing of money, all the quantitative easing that took place globally in the US and Europe, et cetera, et cetera. They just printed money and pushed the kick the can down the road. So they said, We're not going to deal with the problem now. We'll leave some other generation to deal with it. And that's exactly what has happened now. But now I think we're at that point of absolute um, finality where. Governments are trying to scramble together and put up all these debt packages to support people, support companies, etc. But it's not going to be enough because the scale of the problem we're facing now is so significant.
0: Um, That's really interesting to hear and that kind of leads nicely to my next question, um, which is uh, thinking about the UK but also the world um, in general. What are the hardest hit sectors and will this... Um, have an impact now on employment and our individual standards of living?
1: Uh, If if I go through a list of sectors which are the worst hit in descending order, so the the greatest damage will be uh, tourism and leisure, then aviation and maritime, the automobile industry, construction and real estate, manufacturing, financial services, education, oil and gas, and then in terms of sectors that are least affected are probably going to be agriculture, e-commerce, um, g- computing, you know, digital technologies, personal health care, food processing, and probably the least affected sector is going to be medical supply and medical services. Um, and in terms of the, 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 sorry, the second question you asked was with regards to...
0: Individual standards of living, thinking about the impact that that's going yeah. to have on you and I.
1: Yeah, I think it's we, we have to be ready for a significant standard of living cut. And this is something that's going to be the most difficult and could potentially lead to significant social unrest. Because we're all effectively living beyond our means, whether it's at the individual level, or whether it's at the national level. The governments have borrowed so far, when you look at the total Global debt—it's over 250 trillion dollars. I mean, you can't even imagine what that is. But to put it perhaps into context, it's over three times the size of the U.S. economy. The three times larger than the U.S. economy is the global debt position. In the U.K., we have 66 billion pounds of debt. It's an incredible number when you think about it. So, at some point, the day of reckoning has to happen. You have to pay that money back, or you have to say we have to take a stand of living cut
0: Wow, that does sound quite um, quite depressing, um, and I think we'll probably you'll be tell, giving me some more depressing facts in a minute when I ask you my next question really, which is that what we 're seeing is of course governments bailing out companies and bailing them and supporting most of the nation in, in this country and other countries in the world through furlonging schemes. How long can this last so for example um, if as we seem to be hearing or thinking the lockdown has to be extended to the end of 2020, and governments can't sustain these measures to cover employee wages, what's likely to happen? Are Important. we actually going to reach that stage of considering um, nationwide rationing?
1: Nationwide rationing is not being discussed at the moment, but it's it is inevitable. It is an inevitable possibility that it may have to happen if there's no other way of, of, of sorting the issues out. Governments are constrained as to how much debt they can they can borrow. So typically, which country has been the biggest supporter of, of, of um, government debt uh, borrowing programs? It's been China. China has been producing massive trade surpluses, budget surpluses. They have a propensity to save in China, and so they put their money into overseas bonds, very safe places. Debts issued by the U.S. government, the U.K. government. And the EU governments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It looks as if the Chinese economy, for the first time in over a decade, is going to show um, very significantly slower growth, if not actually negative growth when we see the actual numbers for the, the statistics. So, how are the governments going to be able to borrow that money? Who are they going to borrow it from? And if they can't borrow the money, then there will come a point where they say, we can't keep these schemes going, the furlough scheme self-employed you know again providing 80 uh, percent of their income up to two and a half thousand pounds et etc etc the governments will not be able to afford this because on the other side because of the lockdown the economy is not working so businesses aren't trading therefore um, people aren't you know, people aren't going to shops therefore the the tax um take for governments is going to be significantly reduced and that's going to increase the debt burden very significantly on the government so it's becoming this this you know, circular argument you and it's very hard to break that until someone steps in and has a hard stop and says okay we've got to take the pain guys we've got to recognize that this is not um this is not sustainable any longer
0: can you describe for someone like me who's not an economist what what taking the pain means
1: it means a standard of living cut effectively for for the mm-hmm. man on the street so uh, we've all got used to. The most scary statistic is the generation uh, millennials in the UK typically eat out four times a week. Mm. Those luxuries, the, the, the springing up of the coffee shops, the sandwich chains charging five pounds for sandwich, those businesses are not going to survive because people won't have the disposable income.
0: Right. Right.
1: There'll, there'll be salary cuts there'll be you know, significant unemployment. I mean, already you've seen in the, um, in the US that um, the unemployment claims have gone up to over 20 million in, in a week. And the greatest, uh, the, so people claiming unemployment benefit went up to um, 20 million. And the previous um, greatest sig- single increase was in 1982 when the um, unemployment claims went up 850,000 or something. So that gives you a scale of the unemployment that's already hit the US. In term, And what's the impact of that going to be? People won't be able to afford their mortgages, car loans. They won't be able to um, even go and shop in their normal way. They'll have to think about cutting back on their expenditure.
0: Yes, quite a scary prospect for us all, I think. I, I had another question again. I, you, you mentioned about... China showing slower growth and I guess I was thinking you're talking about growth and I wondered whether, do you think some economies are going to recover faster than others?
1: It's it's, uh, hard to know because what's interesting is that the impact at the moment seems to be more in the developed world than the developing world. So the number of cases in Africa is still relatively small. It's hit the US, UK, Italy, Spain... Ie the, the industrialised economies harder.
0: You, you mean the impact of the virus here, do you?
1: Yes, In- and therefore the impact right. of the lockdown, and therefore the economic impact. So it's right. all kind of um, you know, consequential, you know, step by step by step. Yes. Um, and so it's it's definitely. Um, I think at the moment it looks as if it's going to hit the developing nations, and therefore, by definition, it's going to hit the developing nations uh, because if you look at the Um, aid, Um, you know, the U.S. gives $35 billion a year roughly in aid. Germany gives 25, UK 18, EU about 16. One of the first things that may well be cut in this need to try and balance the books is going to be foreign aid to the developing countries. Yes. And that is part of the reason why the U.N. came out with this uh, terrifying report yesterday where they're expecting that uh, famine... Um, the global famine impact could go could rise from 135 million people around the world to 250 million people around the world, um, and there won't be the resources to be able to help those people. So we're, we're we're looking at a real global impact. Developing and 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 developed countries are all going to be hit.
0: Yes. And I guess, again, I'm, I'm just a, a question again for me as a, not being an economist is, um, will it matter where a country has borrowed from? So, for example, in this country, we're borrowing from the Bank of England. Um, that's not the same for other countries. Will that make a difference where they borrow Remember money from?
1: I don't actually have any money. The Bank of England then issues UK government uh, debt bonds called gilts which it sells to the Chinese, the Americans, the French, the Chinese, the Japanese, etc., and they actually own the debt. So the Bank of England is just the conduit through which the debt is issued to people who want to buy the debt.
0: Right. Okay. Let's um, just move on a bit and think a little bit more broadly now. There's been a lot of discussion um And countries have imposed lockdown measures, you know, social distancing um, and the um, in order to try and recover from from the impact of uh, COVID-19. And there's been discussion about um, the impact, um, uh, the economic impact versus the health impact, um, how we move forward. How do you think we should strike the right balance between them both? Where, Where should we be? Focusing our efforts,
1: I think there is. <coughs> excuse me. There is definitely um, a, a need for a new economic model. The old model of capitalism, <coughs> excuse me, is is, is clearly not uh, <coughs> not working at the moment. Uh, and that's not to say that the opposite, uh, the opposite side of capitalism, i.e., communism, is going to be a solution either. So there needs to be a new world order effectively put together. And we don't yet know who's going to lead that new world order. If you remember at the end of the Second World War, we had men of leadership then. It's very hard to look around the world at the moment, especially in all the major countries, and see men or women of of leadership who are going to lead us uh, in this new economic order that's desperately required.
0: Thank you for that. The recession uh, has brought to light... Uh, a number of glaring internal flaws of the entire economic system will our economic philosophies uh, need to change do you think everything is based on gdp do you think we're going to need to have a rethink about our relationships with natural resources or our approach regarding health issues
1: i think the um, the health issue is is a clear one that we have the benefit of an amazing National Health Service in the UK, which is which has been absolutely fantastic and tribute to all the amazing um, people who work so hard for the benefit of so many others in the health service. But, of course, um, that doesn't exist in the US, for example. Every person has to fund their own health care. Now, President Obama had tried to put um, uh, Medicaid, I think it was called, uh, which is a, uh, a national health equivalent um in, in some places, the first thing that President Trump did when he came on board was to repeal it and, uh, and, and stop the system. So I think, again, the world has to look at the whole global um, health model that should health be free at the point of use or and paid for by taxation, or does there need to be some other potential model? And then in terms of the um, other side of that, natural resources... Of course, all the discussions around global warming have been very interesting, but they kind of depended on a very benign, very steady economic background that people could then afford to say, right, we can now make the change from the reliance on fossil fuels into alternative renewable energies, which require significant investments because they're all new and they need infrastructure. So whether you have electric cars, and you need charge points to plug your car in when you go shopping, et cetera. No country has that, tech, that, that infrastructure in place now. So somebody has to pay for it. So if the question is, do we have the money to pay for it? No. So what do we do? Well, we're just going to have to keep using fossil fuels because we have petrol stations which we can go and fill our cars in and drive around in. So there is a danger that all the wonderful... Um, uh, highlighting off the issues around environmental problems and the environmental problems we were causing um, in the world, which were being discussed very openly up until, what, three months ago, have now gone very quiet because we may not have the luxury of being able to offer alternatives to people, even though the reality is we do desperately need to um, stop abusing and polluting Mother Earth in the way that we are at the moment.
0: Do you think that... Um... Do you think that it's possible that that may mean that we actually look at our resources differently? So when we're farming, we're farming for what we need to eat, as opposed to farming for, say, coffee or, you know, other uh, products that aren't necessities. Do you think it's going to change how...
1: possibility that where China, of course, is moving towards being an industrialized economy and moving towards being an urban-based economy rather than an agricultural economy, people were pushing for a higher standard of living. And therefore, the inevitable thing is they want to eat more meat. And of course, meat is most, you know, cattle and, and other livestock are the most inefficient uses of land possible. So if the recession comes, will people go back to just eating simple uh, vegetable and uh, plant-based diets again very real possibility
0: yeah right um so thinking about um, new models new ways of doing things um in his lecture the economic system of islam hazrat um muslima the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya muslim movement um explains that the first pillar of an economic uh, of an Islamic economic model is based on morals or morality, so if we take this idea of morality towards business and finance being the foundation of a financial model, what lessons can we take today with how we um, could deal with the current economic downturn and perhaps f- for the future as well, how we should be dealing with our resources
1: i think um <clears throat> That you, you can't argue with the logic of that because if we had had a more moral um, sort of standpoint globally <clears throat> where we, we we were more afraid of our, the consequences of what we were doing and the pain we were causing other people by having things in our own selfish way, then perhaps we wouldn't have reached the position we are where... This is amazing bit of news today that... Um, Two senior executives at a leading supermarket who didn't make the grade. They weren't good enough to go into the new environment but they got a million pound payout each just, just last week mm. right in the middle of the pandemic and this is the same supermarket which is having to furlough its staff. So mm. where's the morals in that that yes. we will pay these two individuals two million pounds but those two million pounds would probably have paid for maybe a hundred of the staff that keeps unemployed. So that's just a small example. We've had the issue more recently of the Bank of England saying to the banks, excuse me, you will not pay your dividends. Dividends are a percentage of the profit the bank generates paid out to shareholders. Now, the question is, should the banks be paying dividends to shareholders or should they suspend them and say, we actually need that money to help poor people, to help the poor companies who we lend money to to try and stay alive, to get them through this crisis. Would, wouldn't we be better off doing that rather than spending the money giving it out to shareholders? And it required the Bank of England to tell these, these banks not to pay out those profits to shareholders. And that, again, is a <clears throat> moral vacuum. The banks themselves should have said, should we be doing this? Should we be giving out this money when we actually know we're going to need it to support a poor individuals who are uh, going to be in in very hard circumstances or companies which are about to go bankrupt because they don't have um, sufficient working capital to keep their business going? Um, Why does it need the central bank to say you're not doing that? Where is the integrity and morals within the chairman, the chief executive, the board? And all the senior staff. Where, yeah. Where's their morals gone? And <clears throat> that's that's the sort of big end of it. Just at this, you know, the, the micro end of it, it's a matter of again the morals of people living beyond their means. I mean, the most one of the most awful things that I find is yeah you know, the the fast fashion and the disposable nature that we've come to. That everything is a throwaway society. We don't recycle things. We don't try and rebuild things. We don't try and reuse things. Our view is we throw it away. So we buy some electronic gadget. If it stops working, we don't have repair shops anymore where we can go and get it repaired. Now you just go down to the tip, you throw it away, it goes into landfill somewhere, and you go and buy a new one. That, again, is driven by a commercial greed, which is a lack of moral.
0: So least, would it be fair to say that, that capitalism, our current system, is immoral?
1: As it stands now, yes. Without a shadow doubt, because capitalism in its purest sense means the weakest fail and the strongest survive, and it, it, it kind of sifts through. Let's be clear, Islam also is a socialist capitalist model. It allows you to make profits, but it doesn't allow you to exploit people to make those profits. You have to be very fair in your dealings, and it requires you as somebody who's blessed with Excess wealth, or excessive, um, or, or excess capabilities, or, 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 or good fortune, to use that for the benefit of other people and not to hoard it, and that's maybe the basis of the new world economic order that we need.
0: Really interesting points that you're making there. I wanted to come back and ask you a question. Some economists are saying that um, governments should be giving money to individuals rather than companies, um, when they're giving out money, that um, instead of bailing out companies, that money should go to individuals. And I just wondered what, what you thought of that. That's an argument being made by uh, some economists in America, for example.
1: It comes back again, but where's that money coming from? They're borrowing the money. They haven't got the money to sit and give. So the U.S. announced a $2 trillion stimulus package. But it's not as if he actually has that money in the bank. He's got to go and borrow it from somebody. He's got to go to the markets again, and he's got to try and borrow $2 trillion, which somewhere, somebody, a future generation, has to repay that money.
0: Agreed. But if you were going to give money to a company, uh, a, 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 you know, a, a big company, or that same money give to individuals, I'm just wondering which would be the better investment in the long run? It's it's
1: called a, it's a multiplier effect. But where will that single dollar, for example, have the most impact? If it goes into a company which produces something, which employs people, and it keeps families fed, housed, and able to lead their lives, then is it better to give that one dollar to that company rather than the individual who will only spend it in his own little world, in his own little universe, or worse still, maybe just go and put it in the bank and not spend it at all. And right. That's, again, the Islamic model of not hoarding money. And that's what Zakat and Islam is all about, is to stop you, from, to discourage you from hoarding money, but to use your money to recirculate in the economy, to reinvest it, so that you're constantly creating opportunities for other people.
0: That that, that leads me really nicely to my last point, really, which is that, um, as you may have heard in his speech uh, in Singapore in 2013, the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim movement, um, Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih V, has spoken about the economic system in Islam in terms of, um, in light of God's attribute of being Lord of all the worlds, as we say in our prayers, meaning that economically there are no boundaries in the sharing of resources. And His Holiness said that we should cater for our own people but also help other countries. And um, what we see now is that some countries are helping others. However, some are also withholding resources and blocking them. What lessons do you think we can learn from that approach?
1: That approach of, of, of um, the sort of positive side, i.e. that we're, we're, we're all in this together. And John Donne, no man is an island. We are all interconnected. And the more we can do for each other, the more we all win. When people start being greedy and they start um, hoarding and blocking um, distribution, ultimately, they will lose and all of humanity loses. It it, it finally comes back to the argument or or the discussion, the point I made earlier about the, the famine that the UN is worried about. At the end of the day, we have sufficient food in the world to be able to feed every single person but certain countries are hoarding food supplies wheat butter etc etc they they have the famous you know mountains of this food in storage for their own population's benefit and not to give it to the genuinely starving people in the most poorest parts of the world so it's a uh, it's definitely um, a phenomenon which has to be looked at very, very carefully. And the world needs to move away from just being utterly selfish in its outlook and has to have a much more um, enlightened approach in looking at whatever helps my fellow man ultimately will help me as well.
0: Thank you. That, that's um, a really um, interesting um, observation of, of the whole um, problem I'm, uh, Ahmed, that's as far as I want to go with the questions. I have a couple more questions to ask you, um, but they've just come in from, uh, we've had, um, uh, Ahmed Saab, Ahmed Daniel Saab on, on the other line and, um, Farad I'm going to ask them if they've got any questions, but I wondered, we wondered also if you had anything you wanted to add before I end this, of course we can edit all this bit out, but is there anything you want to say or anything you would like to comment on that perhaps I haven't asked you?
1: I think the only thing is that a lot of people are saying you – know, people are at the moment trying to ask the question, what is going to happen? And the truth of the matter is, the best economists are all saying the same thing, and that is that all the forecasting at the moment is pointless. Um, we will bounce back at some stage, but we don't know when that will be and what the bounce back in the global economy will look like. For a number of people, they only – no, for a large number of people, they only know the last 10 years, right, between 2010, at the end of the financial crisis, and 2020. And they believe that last 10 years to be the norm. Those last 10 years were debt-fueled economic expansion. That expansion was driven by consumers borrowing money and spending that money in shops to buy more material goods for themselves. It wasn't real economic growth. And therefore, the damage that that, that that short-term debt-fueled boom has done is what we're now going to have to um, undo. And I think the reality is we're going to have the next two to three years of significant struggling. Huge damage has been done to the global economy. There will be some mount, bounce back, but there's going to be a colossal debt burden and a lot of unemployment and a lot of businesses is going to collapse. There's, there's no... Good news on the horizon, sadly.
0: Jazakallah. thank you for that. Um, it doesn't look sorry. like... A, sorry, go on. You're going to say something before I end? Go on.
1: I just sorry to be so depressing about it.
0: Jazakallah. Uh, I think you've given us a really honest and um, very informative um, breakdown of uh, these concerns, and I think these are concerns that many people have. Um, I really appreciate you giving us the time to yes. speak to us on this. Um, And thank you so much for um, participating in this interview. You're
1: very welcome. Any other time, just give need any more depressing news, give me a call.
0: Can I ask you one more question? Sorry, I have got um, uh, from my two helpers online and we'll insert this. So the question that uh, (laughs) Daniel Sub's asking is, um, so I'll just ask this as a question. He's smarter than I am. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell him that. I don't think he can hear you. Oh, perhaps he can. Of course he can hear you. Um, So the question that he's asked is, and I'll just ask this as a question. So um, can we expect um, that there will be any debt cancellation in order to reduce the burden of those countries which are so much poorer than uh, some of the Western nations, which are obviously in, in great trouble
1: I think the only answer to that is the answer that I gave already, that that would only happen if we had a new world economic order led by men of integrity. So if we had men in, in charge of the developing countries, and the g so whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's Boris Johnson, whether it's Oman um, uh, um, in Saudi Arabia, any of these people, if we had a single global leader of any integrity the first thing they would do when they saw us beginning to come out of the crisis would say we need a new economic order and we need to look at what we're doing to the developing countries and we need to do debt cancellation for them and write off the debt and just accept and give them a chance to recover from this this, um, pandemic and the economic crisis it brings the reality is that's never going to happen we don't have men of uh, that, that caliber anymore
0: Thank you. Um, well, we can only hope things will change. Jazakallah. Thank you so much for listening to us. You're very welcome. Thank Take you. Take care. Thank I'm you. Really cool. Thank you for listening to us. If you would like more information, please go to our website, thereviewofreligions.org, or follow us on Twitter at Review of Religions, and also on our Instagram page, hashtag Review Religions. As-salamu rahmatullahi wa barakatuhum.